Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, NFL.com released a video talking about floor-to-ceiling projections for the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DHarrison82, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Your Tampa Bay Buccaneers lead story today is a video released on NFL.com talking about the variety of projections surrounding the new-look Tampa Bay Buccaneers going from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady, a young defense, and how their season might shape out. Tampa Bay Buccaneers stamped a 7-9 on 2019, did it with a QB throwing 30 picks. Winston, some time, and it's intercepted again! Makes you wonder what they might have done with someone going like 24 TDs and just 8 interceptions. Why don't we find out? TB12 gonna love those new wide receivers he has to play with. Evans... Winston goes deep for Evans. He's got it. 55-yard pass play. Godwin. Winston to the end zone for Godwin and a touchdown. Both over 1,000 yards, 8 and 9 TDs apiece. O.J. Howard, too. Untapped potential? Oh, and that Gronk guy as well. What version of him do they get, though? Either way, this offense has serious firepower. There is a pump-the-brakes aspect to this, though. Tampa's offense was elite at moving the ball anyway. Fire them cannons! What a play! Most passing yards per game, third most yards per game, third most points per game. Those Winston picks came with a give and take. Fewer picks, in this rare case, may also bring with it fewer yards and points. And then there is the O-line, 22nd in sacks, but this may surprise some. PFF ranked them 7th best and said their strength was protecting the QB, insinuating many of those sacks were on Jameis. He's in trouble. Down he goes. Nonetheless, they drafted a new left tackle with their first pick, Tristan Wirfs. He's a rookie, though. One thing the line did not help with was the run game. Just 3.7 yards per carry, 28th in the NFL. However, Ronald Jones, the expected starter, was a solid 4.2 and had over 700 rush yards and in only 9 starts. Plus, have you heard? Gronkowski can block. Turnovers ultimately hurt the defense more than the offense. 29th in points per game allowed, yet only 15th in yards per game allowed. Passing D held QBs to a 90 passer rating. Respectable. Again, third most passing yards per game allowed, but they faced the most passes in the NFL. They put up the eighth lowest completion percentage, for example. Point is, they were better than some of the stats insinuate. Plus, they had a legit pass rush, too. Tied for 7th most sacks. Helped a lot when JPP found his groove. And then there's Shaq Barrett. Led the league with 19 and a half. Shaq Barrett comes in unblocked. Hits Garoppolo. And it's like he knew the play. Can he keep that up, though? And can they keep stopping the run like they did last year? Minuscule 3.3 yards per carry allowed. Best in the NFL. Levante David, 122 tackles. Baller. And Devin White. 91 tackles in his first year. 
Very few changes to the defensive unit. Tricky team to figure out. What does adding two older future Hall of Famers do? It could start hot. Wins in five of the first six, beating Breeze and Rodgers along the way. Then lose in Vegas, beat the Giants. Breeze gets round two, and so do the Panthers. Beat the Rams, but lose to Mahomes and company. Win over the Vikings, then two road losses before a win at home to close it out at nine and seven. Playoff contender, two games better, one for each former Pat. If Brady is old, that's the only real fear. Gronk isn't effective after a year off, could be the same as last year. They'd lose to the Saints and to Rodgers, 7-9 again. But if the magic works like it did for Peyton when he went to Denver, Ronald Jones is a thousand yard back, beat Denver, Panthers is a sweep, Lions is a win for sure, they could climb to 12-4 and four and people would be talking a seventh possible ring for the GOAT. Lots to dive in there following uh, that audio. Again, thank you to NFL.com. And David, we're going to dive in and we're going to break it all down. But my initial thoughts were, you know, they were kind of all over the place, almost on the verge of covering their bases so that no matter what happens this season, they can say, oh, look, we were right. Yeah, I mean, pointing out the negative, pointing out the positive, pointing out the possibilities on both sides of the coin. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of, of you know, uh, CYA, as they put it. I'm not going to say the whole word. Um, but interesting, interesting statistics, interesting factors going into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2020 season. Definitely worth breaking down even deeper. Thursday here at the Locked On Bucks podcast. And what you just got done listening to was, of course, NFL.com's 2020 ceiling and floor projection for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers based on the departure of quarterback Jameis Winston, the uh, arrival of quarterback Tom Brady, among other things, uh, especially the defense remaining pretty much well, basically intact, except a few added pieces that supposedly are going to make it better. Uh, but James, like we said at the end of that last segment, it's, it's worth diving deeper into. So what we're going to do on this episode for you guys is we're literally going to go through that video. We're going to break down segment by segment of what they said and how they got to their final projections, and we're going to discuss it. We're going to talk about how impactful those those stats and those factors are really going to be, or how little they're actually going to impact the 2020 season and see how we come out of this thing. So, James, the first category, the first thing that they talked about, of course, was the departure of Jameis Winston, who threw 30 interceptions in 2019, barely threw more touchdowns than he did interceptions, and then the arrival in his absence of quarterback Tom Brady, who threw 24 touchdowns compared to eight interceptions, uh, an entire two-thirds more touchdowns than he threw in interceptions. And he did in 2019 on a New England Patriots team that didn't have Mike Evans, didn't have Chris Godwin, didn't have O.J. Howard, didn't have Rob Gronkowski. However, even as exciting as that might be or that, you know, that could be, Tampa Bay Buccaneers were already first in passing yards per game in 2019. They were third most yards per game. They were third most in points per game. So while the fewer interceptions between Winston and Brady are going to be, you know, most likely will be good, the concern is, and, we, and we've heard this from other people too, that the, the decline in turnovers may also come with a decline in yard production and decline in points. The question, James, is, is that going to be significant enough to cause a drop-off in what the Buccaneers might be able to accomplish as a team? No, I don't think so. I think you're trading the lack of turnovers for a lack of necessary yards and points. You take a look at at the amount of turnovers last year, and, and I'm not even going to point specifically just to Jameis. I realize that's kind of part of, of the conversation. But you take a look at all the turnovers that the Buccaneers had and how many of those turned into points for the opposition. So if you bring in a guy who's going to protect the football, have a third less turnovers than what the the quarterback last year had, 
There's no need to rack up 5,000 passing yards and, and rack up that many points because you're protecting the football. You're not having to play from behind. You're not having to play catch up. And that's where a lot of that production came from. So, no, I, I don't think if the Buccaneers drop, you know, a few spots in the rankings as far as points per game or as far as yards per game, that that's going to equate to fewer losses or, or, or fewer wins. What that's going to equate to is the offense needing to do less because of the position that they keep getting put in where you know the, the their opponents are racking up all these points because the bucks keep giving them the football. You protect the football, you have long sustained drives, you score points. Now you're putting the pressure on the opposing offense rather than starting right out of the gate from behind because of all of these first possession interceptions or these pick sixes or fumbles or or whatever the case may be. So I think it's you know, it, it's not great for the fantasy players. You know, it was Jameis Winston was a plug and play starter in fantasy football every single week because it didn't matter if he had three interceptions, he was going to turn around and throw three touchdowns and have to gain a ton of yards to try to catch up. So ultimately, no, I don't think that a, a drop in yardage or points is necessarily going to have a negative effect on the Buccaneers overall. One of the things that that they did talk about, and and this is going to have a huge impact on how the Buccaneers do, David, is their offensive line. They gave up the 10th most sacks to their quarterback, but pro football focus, and we all know how I feel about pro football focus, but the video used them as the example, ranked the offensive line seventh best in the NFL and put a lot of those sacks on Jameis Winston holding on to the football. Either way, the, the Buccaneers added... Tristan Wirfs. In the video, they said left tackle. Tristan Wirfs is going to play right tackle. We all know that. But David, how do you feel about the offensive line and the addition of Wirfs heading into the season and how that's going to affect the offense? I mean, I think I've always kind of looked at the offensive line a little bit less negatively than a lot of people have, especially out there in the fan base. And, and maybe that's a little bit off base, but I just, I think I kind of give them a little bit of credit because I, I think I, I try to appreciate just how hard the task is that they have in front of them. I mean, they've got they've got five guys who literally have to work as a unit, and they're going up against a defense that's usually a defensive front seven, either a 4-3 formation, 3-4, a 5-2, a 2-5, whatever formation the defense chooses to have. They get to, as the defense, play with the parts, move pieces, you know, bluff here, bluff there, bluff here, and, and do all this. But at the end of the day, the center is the center. The right and left guards are the right and left guards. The right and left tackles are the right and left tackles. They don't get to move around. They don't get to fake you out. They don't get to – so really, when you talk about the offense having the advantage over the defense because the defense doesn't know it's coming, the offensive line is really the only part where the defense has a natural advantage over the offensive line because the offensive line doesn't know what's coming. They just got to have to read and react to what they have. That being said, when you look at next-gen stats provided by NFL.com, Jameis Winston held the ball from snap to throw an average of 2.77 seconds per throw. Now, that number does not include sacks, and that's really big here when we're talking about this because that number is only 0.02 seconds longer than Tom Brady. Tom Brady in 2019 held the ball for an average of 2.75 seconds from snap to throw. Again, non-sack reps. So what's that time on the sack reps? That's the stat that we don't have that I don't have. Uh, If anybody out there knows where it is, please feel free to share it for me. Uh, But I don't know where it's at, and I haven't been able to find it. Uh, I didn't look everywhere, but, you know, I've turned over some stones and I couldn't find it. So that's an interesting thing. 
Did Jameis Winston cause some of his own sacks? Of course he did. We all know that he did sometimes. He loves to try to make uh, plays last you know, longer than maybe they should have. But is it all on Jameis Winston? No. Some of it's on the offensive line. But it's not also all on the offensive line. I think you can say that about every single team. The important thing is that no matter what PFF thinks, no matter how many sacks they gave up in, in group you know, with the quarterback and the offensive line to blame, the Buccaneers saw a need. We all saw the need. DeMar Dotson was getting old, getting towards the end of his career. Good luck to him in Denver. But it was time to move on. The Buccaneers did that with Tristan Wirfs. And I think that whether you think the Buccaneers' offensive line had a big part to do with the 10th highest sacks or you agree with PFF, this offensive line got better, and that's going to be big for a season when you're timing a quarterback like Tom Brady that can't move outside the pocket. Of course, that's not the only part the offensive line is involved in. Of course, you have the run game. And, James, we had an episode yesterday real heavy about Ronald Jones, and that's what came up in this NFL.com video. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 28th in the National Football League overall with a 3.7 yards per carry as a team. But Ronald Jones himself had a 4.2 yards per carry just having the nine starts. And I think you would agree. And most people who watched the Buccaneers in 2019 would agree that he got better as he went on. So everybody excited to see what he's going to do with this full season. And then, of course, Rob Gronkowski returning not only impacts Tom Brady, their chemistry, and how much Brady likes to use that tight end, especially that tight end named Gronk, but also Gronk's ability to run block, capitalize that or uh, multiply that by the fact that O.J. Howard also a fairly strong run blocker himself. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, it's great that Gronk can run block. You know, that's that's a a big positive. But, you know, it's not like they didn't already have a tight end who could block. So, yeah, I don't think that Gronk's run blocking is going to add a whole lot to the mix. However, I do think their run game improves, especially – if Ronald Jones, as, as I said yesterday, continues on that upward trajectory that he showed last season, and, and you mentioned he looked better as the season went on, coming in, being the bona fide starter, knowing he's the RB1, Shady's there, Keyshawn Vaughn is there, they're there in complementary roles, but Ronald Jones is the guy. You add a beast on the offensive line like Tristan Wirfs, you have this unit who really started to come together and started to gel and and I agree with you that they're better than a lot of fans want to admit that they are. I don't think they're they're top 10, but they're certainly, you know, I would say in that that 12 to 14, 15 range right in there. So I expect the run game to be even better, especially with Tom Brady there. You know, when when the Buccaneers were having to face off against other teams last year, Teams were kind of trying to force Jameis to beat them, trying to force Jameis not to make a mistake, and they didn't have to focus on the run game as much. And I realized that Byron Leftwich called some run plays almost to the detriment of the team at times. But with the addition of Tom Brady, with the addition of Rob Gronkowski, it really just opens everything up. I expect another year of improvement and a year of Ronald Jones impressing all of us, and I think they're going to finish far better than 28th in the NFL as far as uh, rushing as a team in 2020. But, David, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball and talk a little defense. Now, this defense finished 29th in points per game last year, but 15th in yards per game. So yeah, they had the, the third most passing yards, 
They faced the most passes in the NFL. They held quarterbacks to a, a 90 quarterback rating, which in the eighth lowest completion percentage. How do you see this defense kind of shaping out heading into the 2020 season? Are we going to see second half Buccaneers defense or are we going to see first half? Because that first half is a very, very big reason why they are 29th in points per game for the 2019 season. Right. And I mean, 2019 really was just a year of what could go wrong was going to go wrong. Right. Uh, You know, early on in the year when the offense was putting up a lot of points, the defense couldn't stop anybody later on in the year when the defense was getting stops, the offense uh, couldn't do anything, but, you know, step on the defense toes, give the opponent the ball inside, you know, the 30 and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't have an official count, but we all know there are a lot of points that got scored against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that the drive started with the opponent in scoring position due to some of those turnovers. And that's why you see that disparity there, 29th in points per game, but 15th in yards per game. That is a huge gap. And what that shows you is that teams really didn't move the ball against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense when you're looking at the entire season in total as much as maybe you know the points given up would, would, uh, would make you think they did. And, of course, again, early on in the season, some of those points were scored, some of those yards were gained. But then later on in the season, you know, uh, I remember, you know, a couple of possessions. The New Orleans Saints only had to, had to move the ball 10, 15 yards before they were in, you know, realistic scoring position. So when, you're, when, you're, when your defense is only giving up 15 yards, not even two full first downs, and they're still giving up three points, you're still giving up a touchdown. Granted, you want them to stop, you know, the touchdown in any way, no matter what field position you give them. But you've got to share a little bit of the blame on the offense when you're putting your defense in that type of a situation. And then, yeah, you talk about the improvement in the secondary especially – And we all know the front seven had a lot to do with that. The return of JPP, Shaquille Barrett, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But all those guys up front helping that secondary, that young secondary, get better, learn. The fact that Jamel Dean was able to rebound as much as he has, we've been praising him all offseason and ever since that Seattle game uh, with the way he was able to come back from that because we've all seen guys have have games like that and just never bounce back. That's pretty much the end of their career. So the fact that, you know, they're they're able to hold, hold quarterbacks to a 90 overall QBR, eighth lowest completion percentage, you can't help but expect to see that same defense maybe even a little bit better as they get going. I think in the early uh, part of the season, you're going to see a little bit of a decline. you got young players. you got aging players. They haven't been able to get the competition out of their system like in the preseason like they normally do. So I think you're going to see a little bit of a decline, but I think eventually we're going to see the same unit leading into weeks maybe four, five, and six. And then as we get to the back half of the schedule, if this defense can stay healthy, I think that's when you can really see them turn it up a notch and really become a force in the National Football League. But, James, speaking of forces, we already kind of talked about them already. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers front seven, seventh most sacks in the National Football League, led, of course, by Shaquille Barrett with his 19.5 sacks and then JPP and his 8.5 sacks, despite having the shortened year doing, due to that neck injury. What do you expect from that duo? Do you think seventh most in the NFL is still attainable for this Buccaneers front seven? Do you think even higher, maybe? I mean, what, what are we going to see with a full 16 games, hopefully, of Shaq Barrett and JPP. Oh, I certainly believe that these guys can uh, can have some major sack production and stay in the top 10 in the NFL in sacks. Now, do I think Shaq Barrett is going to get 19 and a half again? No, I, I truly don't. But I will say this. It is certainly within the realm of possibility, and I certainly believe that when all is said and done, Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul will combine for 28 sacks again this year, like you said, a full season of JPP, you know, he had eight and a half sacks and what was it? 10 games or, or whatever the case was. So 
you know, you you were looking at two guys that very well should have been two double digit sack players on the Buccaneers. If you if you kind of add that up, you know, yeah, JPP could have gotten double digit sacks, but if he's getting those sacks, are, is Shaq losing a couple? Possibly. So I expect those guys to combine for a lot of sacks, and they may very well even have the most sacks of any tandem in the NFL. I like what I saw out of Vita Vea. I, I think he's really growing into a dominant NFL player. I like what I see out of Levante and Devin White as that tag team in the middle. It, I'm really excited about this defense. As far as, as the run defense, you know, 3.3 yards per carry for opposing rushers. Levante, David, Devin White combining for 213 tackles. Just absolutely outstanding. I expect it to be just as good, if not better, heading into 2020. Wrapping things up here on a Thursday edition of the Locked On Bucks podcast. And uh, David, they finished things out talking about win-loss projection for the Buccaneers. Now they say the Buccaneers are going to win six of the first eight and then lose five of the last eight, finishing nine and seven. If Tom Brady can do what Peyton Manning did in Denver, the Bucs could potentially win 12 games on their way to the postseason. What do you think about their win-loss projection? I personally think it's a little on the low side. Yeah, so, I mean, nine and seven is low to me. I mean, I think this team, you know, this team is in a position. They've got the players. They've got the talent. And I understand they haven't had all the time in the world to play together, mesh, blah, blah, blah. If this team doesn't win at least 10 games, it's an absolute failure. I mean, that's just it's just the bottom line of it. That's just how it's going to be. Um, what I don't like about the NFL.com video, and, and no shade to them, I mean, you know, they're the league's network and website and all that stuff. Uh, you know, five of five or winning six of the first eight, rather, uh, I, I, you know, I like that thought. I mean, they lost to have them losing to the Broncos and the Raiders, I think, which are not the two games that I would probably expect them to lose if they lost two in their first eight games. But I digress. However, then you look at the back half of the season, losing five of the last eight. I kind of feel like that's a little bit because, again, the video is called ceiling and floor, right? So I kind of feel like whoever made these projections kind of got to a point in the middle of the season where like, oh, man. I need to make a floor for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a legitimate floor. You can't come into this video and say, oh, well, the Buccaneers floor is 10 wins, 11 wins, and then have their ceiling be 12. I mean, that's, that's kind of weak sauce. You know I mean? Nobody's going to pay attention to that. You got to have that floor being in the single-digit win column. So in order to do that, what did they do? They give the Buccaneers back-to-back road losses against the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons. Now, yes, the Atlanta Falcons are capable of beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, got it. But the Detroit Lions, listen, the Detroit Lions – have gotten better on offense by one player, and that is Jonathan Taylor. And listen, I'm a big fan of his, but a rookie running back in the last stretch of the of the season is not going to, unless this is the next coming, you know, of well, Saquon Barkley, I suppose. I mean, he's not that old, but unless Jonathan Taylor is the second coming of Saquon Barkley, that young man, as much as I do like him, is not going to be the big enough a difference to 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 drive the divide between what the Buccaneers did to the Detroit Lions in 2019 compared to what they're going to be able to do in 2020. And this video didn't project any injuries or any, you know, massive loss of defensive players. But if you don't think Sean Murphy bunting is going to come into that game, looking to get another pick six against his hometown team, you got another thing coming. So I feel like, you know, back-to-back losses, the Falcons and Lions, they're just reaching to get a low win loss number 12 and four seems, 
I like that as a ceiling. I think 13 wins is probably their ceiling, to be honest with you. I think they have a possibility of sweeping both the Falcons and the Panthers, which would help them go a long way towards doing so. But if, if I were making my projections, James, I would have their floor at 10 wins, their ceiling at 13. And real quick, before your Twitter account gets flooded, uh, the Lions have DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor's with the Colts, but I knew what you meant. Right, and that's what I said. DeAndre Swift, as much as I like him, is not enough to turn the ties about what happened last time in Detroit. That's what I said. I don't know what your problem is. I'm just trying to avoid your your Twitter being flooded, buddy. It's I'm looking out for you. Here's buddy. the problem. Somebody has already paused this episode, bashed <laughs> me on Twitter. Now they're coming back saying, nope, too late, James. I already got him. It's fine. Whatever. I don't care. Hey, I'm the person that that called Blaine Gabbert Blake Griffin. So it happens to the best of us. <laughs> I blame the lightning. I do too. Yeah. Um Look, I think the the Buccaneers floor is higher than the way they finished last year. Is that 8 and 8 is that 9 and 7? Yeah, I think they are going to be a better team than they were last year. I will say their floor is a 9 win football team. You know, something goes wrong, something, you know, goes awry, whatever the case may be. But yeah, I absolutely believe this can be a, a 12 or 13 win football team. Um I think it's hard to justify that the additions of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski are only good for one win a piece. Uh, they're just they're more talented than that. They're better than that, and that's the whole reason that the Bucks went out and got those guys. So, uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff there from NFL.com gave us plenty to uh, to chew on. And uh, with that, David, real quick, uh, did you happen to watch the first? hockey game of the day between Carolina and Boston? No, I was definitely at work. Double overtime. Oh, the geez, overtimes just won't stop. Yeah. I, I look forward to tomorrow. I'm glad that we instituted our Locked on Bucks official hockey overtime policy moving forward. Yes, but I will not apologize if I scream in the middle of the episode because the lightning scored as we were recording. But yes, we have instituted our overtime rules as far as recording schedules. And uh, with that, we are out of here. So please send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DHarrison82, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Root on your Tampa Bay Lightning today at three o'clock. Hopefully it doesn't last for six and a half hours again because that was a bit too much. Can the Lightning just win in regulation? That's all we really ask for, especially David, who just wants to record a podcast. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, be good to each other. And we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. 